Hello and welcome to Book Shambles. This is part one of our end of year specials. Before we get started, a big thank you from everyone at the Cosmic Shambles Network, from myself and Robin and Josie and Melinda and all our contributors for your support over the year, your pledges on Patreon, your sharing of uh, the blogs and documentaries and everything on social media, your five-star reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, just listening to the show each week. We really appreciate it. And it's been great to meet lots of you as well who've come along to our live shows, whether that's been Nine Lessons or Hammersmith or uh, the live book shambles that we've done out and about this year. We've got lots more live events uh, all around the country coming up in 2019. So make sure you check out CosmicShambles.com for announcements of all of those or on Twitter at Cosmic Shambles. And we'll be doing some new stuff with the Patreon in the new year as well, patreon.com slash bookshambles. Uh, we didn't get as many book clubs and Q&As and stuff done this year as we would have liked uh, due to changing tours and obviously Josie going off on maternity leave and that sort of thing. So we're going to reshape the way we're going to do things in 2019. So there'll be lots of new great rewards for everyone and Thank yous for your support. Uh, seriously, none of this at Cosmic Shambles, the blogs, the videos, uh, this podcast, none of it would be possible without your support on Patreon. So, again, thank you sincerely from all of us here at Trunkman and Cosmic Shambles. But now on to this week's episode. Traditionally, at the end of each year, when we do our, our big, uh, big bill shows, we catch up with everyone or as many people on the bill as we can to get their favourite books of the year. And that's what we've done again this year with a special bonus that uh, the first day of Nine Lessons, Robin happened to be in Northampton with Alan Moore and Melinda Gebby. So... We grab some time with them to get their books of the year as well. And that's where we start with Alan and Melinda in a front room in Northampton. Oh, sh- well, Chopinard. Chopinard well, was... he's just a laugh. Yeah, but I liked Chopinard because he... <laughs> he had... Yeah, because he had all the, the poodles. He was, he was all... I only he hated it because he looked like but... Christopher Walken. I love reading Schopenhauer. The, uh... Do you really? Well, he's hilarious. The thing about women should always be decorative. Um, yeah, I mean... God, they were doing that in the fifties. Still, they really clung to that one. Well, that that's based also on his love of poodles, poodles, and you know that's that, the that uh, women should be groomed um, like poodles. Well, obviously, he had the hair to love poodles, didn't he? And uh, with his and with his kissy lips, I don't know if there's ever been another philosopher with kissy lips like that. Yeah, Wittgenstein didn't, did he? Um, hot, hot baths and uh, and Watson's was his, his treat, uh, as opposed to poodles. They've all got their own uh, little peccadilloes, haven't yeah. they? Well, of um, course, we all have habits. The um, uh, in uh, 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 front room in Northampton, where the last time I was was with uh, Barney Farmer and uh, Alan Moore. Um, in fact, that's a book of the year, isn't it? To mention. Drunken Baker book. Absolutely, I would say. Yeah, that is definitely one of the books of the year, um, in which Barney Farmer reveals. The essential poetry in his damaged soul. Mm. Uh, yeah, I thought that that was a lovely eulogy for Britain, and in a in a nice non-nationalistic way, just with a an alcoholic baker, just regretting that people really didn't know how to make scones anymore. Yeah, and the way that. They don't make proper Battenbergs. And 
This spoke to so much about the decline of Western civilization. You know, now I thought that that was definitely one of the books of the year. Well, that book that I was just showing you now, the the, the, the photo book, Martin Parr's Return to Manchester, which is from an exhibition at the Manchester Art Gallery at the moment, and that has a similar thing. What it's kind of that those little images that's showing there. There's a beautiful selection of pictures of front rooms and with the family in the front room, and each one has a different overly ornate wallpaper and a different kind of part of supermarket art as well. All of those little different features of individualism of account, kind of that time of, of the the beginnings of we can have individual wallpaper and individual pictures. Yeah, yeah, just that. Uh, those books that remind you how much is gone. They're they're bittersweet. I mean, I because your initial reaction is, oh, I remember that, and it was lovely. And then about half a second later, you think, and I'm never going to see it anymore, am I? It's it's gone. And then if you keep looking, you go, oh no. Then I remember what else happened in that room. And yeah. then I remember the boredom. Yeah, and then I remember. Ah, oh, yeah, and that's yeah. Uh, that's the problem with nostalgia, isn't it? Which is, or the good thing about it is, if if you interrogate it enough, you, can you com- start to remember the bit where the nail went through your foot. You, you know? can completely. I don't mean there that sorry, the nostalgia Jesus somehow. <laughs> I meant standing on a nail, not being crucified. But it is nearly Christmas, isn't it? So that's kind of ended up in there somewhere. Um, Melinda, what have you enjoyed this year? Melinda Gebby as well was with uh, who, who was uh, not not with us last time. Oh, and yes, I've only been recently born. Um, I am having a favourite, um, The Book of Night Women by Marlon James. Um, it won the Man Booker Prize for those who are interested in prizes. Um, it's a really dense and beautiful and ferocious uh, journey into the life uh, of a woman uh, named Lilith. She's a young girl in the book. She starts out, I'm only halfway through it, but I need to recommend it. It's written in beautiful patois, which makes it funny where it should be absolutely terrifying. The lives of people working on plantations as slaves uh, in, in, um, in the Jamaican islands. Um, it's, it, it's, an, it's an absolute feat of beautiful storytelling and is an unflinching look at the, the texture of slavery itself and its horrors. Um, but again, this writer is warm and funny uh, throughout it all. It's mythic, I think. So that's the, 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 the book of... The Book, the book of Night Women Night by Marlon James, and it's published by One, One World. World. Yes. Okay. Alan, what else of, uh, of this year's books? Oh, it doesn't have to be this year, it's what you've read this year. Well, just what I've read recently, which is all I can remember. Um, but... Uh, I've read a really interesting science book by Eric Wargo uh, called Time Loops that was about retrocausation. Right. Um, very, very interesting um, and potentially massively disruptive in that it would need us to rethink cause and effect, which would be quite a biggie, you mm. know. 
Uh, but in terms of fiction, um, I think Alex Phoebe's Lucia. Yeah. Which is a book about, it's a novel about Lucia Joyce, who, and after I read it, I thought, I guess you could write about Lucia Joyce using kind of ordinary language, couldn't you? I really could have saved myself an awful lot of time with that difficult chapter in Jerusalem. Yeah, but you didn't want to save yourself time, did you? That was the whole point. I suppose not. But he has done an incredible job. It's sort of talking about Lucia Joyce. Um, He's jumping about all through her lifetime. I think it opens with her body being dressed for, for the funeral in Northampton in 1982. Uh, but it leaps about all through her timeline. It's got a beautiful, lucid quality to the writing. And um, it probably goes a lot further than I did in terms of uh, condemning uh, Lucia's immediate family um, and how they were complicit in what was done to her, which was basically shunting her off into a series of mental asylums um, all through her life, probably because she sort of uh, wouldn't keep quiet about the kind of things that were going on in the family. Uh, Yeah, so that's an absolutely stunning book. Uh, I would definitely recommend that. That's Alex Phoebe's Lucia which is by the Galley Beggar Press. Um, I think he'd previously won a, a welcome book prize but uh, for a previous novel, but no, that was a, a bit of a revelation. There's yeah, a- I'd never known that about welcome, that I'd always thought they were non-fiction, and then it was actually, uh, I think it was, uh, I think I mentioned you, A. Obama Adebayo, who wrote this fantastic book called Stay With Me, which is about kind of love and trust and doubt, and then also about sickle cell anemia and all these things, and that was up there, and that was the first time that I, I realised that, that's another, in terms of, I think it was up for a welcome prize, someone that we talked to in, in one of the uh, uh, podcasts, which I think has gone out, I hope it's gone out, um, the one we did with Lindsay Fitzharris, yeah. who wrote The Butchering Art, which is one of the most, another, that's first another hundred book. pages, really grotesque about how surgery was done in the early 19th century, and then how, but it needs to be that grotesque to then explain the alleviation for, from when Lister was, yeah. was, was yeah, yeah, that's an incredible one. Yeah. And we'll come back to Alan and Melinda at the end of the episode with some more recommendations from them. But for now, we'll go backstage at King's Place, where our sold-out Nine Lessons and Carol's shows have been taking place. We're uh, down another corridor for uh, Nine Lessons and Carol's for Curious People. Uh, Ginny Smith is here, and I'm asking her... And she's racking her brains. That beautiful thing that happens, which is people racking their brain for what have I read this year? Do you remember what you've read this year? Is it just stuff that I've read this year? Or does it have liked, to have come out this year? No, anything you've liked that okay. you've read. I've been really enjoying Dean Burnett's latest book, The Happy Brain. I think it's really like I enjoyed his first one, but I think this one has much more of a kind of journey and a story to it, which I think is yeah, I'm really enjoying that at the moment. Do you read much nonfiction and fiction, or do you um, do you find yourself steering between? Yeah, so I tend to go for kind of sciencey stuff and then some really trashy 
kind of novels for when I'm on holiday. So what else have you read then? I've put you on Um, the spot. Yeah, I might. Can I go and get my Audible app? Yeah, go and get your Audible (laughs) app. We'll do that. We'll do it after you've been on. There we go. And then a little time later, after Ginny Spot. One of the books that I would really recommend that I've read this year is Inferior by Angela Saini. Um, I've been a bit slow on the uptake because it actually came out last year, but it's a brilliant book all about gender and science and it tells a really nice story, but it's also packed full of real science and lots of studies that I hadn't come across before, which was really interesting. Um, And I would very much recommend it to anyone who's interested in gender or actually even if you're not, I think probably it's more important than people who don't realise that there's an issue with sexism in science and society as a general read it. And I'm really looking forward to her next book, Superior, which is coming out next year, which is all about race science. So that should be really interesting as well. Uh, today's Corridor interview, uh, Dean Burnett, Dr Dean Burnett, uh, most recent... Oh, let's move further away from where everyone else is talking. Uh, Dr Dean Burnett, whose most recent book is uh, Happy Brain, mm-hmm. um, which we did a podcast on a while ago. Uh, so when you're not reading your own books, uh, which I imagine proofreading your own books is taking quite a lot of yeah, time, yes. you've got two new ones coming out. 90% um, of the time I'm doing that, yeah. what, what have you been enjoying? Uh, lately, I, um, I've, I did uh, start reading um, Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally's uh, Couples book, which was just a hilarious romp through their relationship. But just, a, just a, an encouraging read, just very positive. He's a lot of... Uh, Josie and me interviewed Nick Offerman yeah, about did, yeah, of course, yeah. Ago, and, be, and, and I'd just come back from uh, Margate, and mm. uh, they both love Margate as well. So you, you weren't <laughs> expecting to have, you know, just only a big uh, Hollywood uh, company A-lister about Margate and some of the joys <laughs> of Margate. No, it's a, it's a very... Lovely people, down to earth, and quite reasonable about things. Um, I did start reading, uh, or I've re- started reading a lot of Adrian Tchaikovsky lately. He did um, Children of Time, uh, award-winning uh, science fiction book about a planet full of uh, spiders, which become rather smart for various reasons. No spoilers given. Won a lot of awards, and very rightly so. I thought it was an excellent. Uh, he's an um, entomologist, or that sort of training by, before he's a writer, so you can tell there's a lot of. Uh, a lot of understanding going on there. Like you mentioned, like the spiders are getting bigger, but also they also have, you know, they develop connective tissue to overcome the whole physical limitations of the spider structure. Ah, good. Yep, he's avoided that trope of uh, <laughs> giant spider can never work because of physics, cross areas, and so on. So yeah, they read his uh, Dogs of War thing, which is a lot more uh, enjoyable and also sort of sympathetic. And you think you'd basically animals uh, like dogs made giant and made to kill people, and that was. Uh, just really quite engaging and quite serious. So you think it's not like I said for a joke book, but it's not. It's actually really, really good. And also, I've got to start reading Pratchett's again because once I read one, it's like you know, it's like it's like after eight minutes, you can't have just one. You just got to keep going through them all. I've got to break that because I, I I've read his uh, lovely collection of non-fiction pieces. Um, <clears throat> I have a pro- I don't know what it is. I have, mm. my brain jars, even though I love all of the ideas that I read about. Mm. It's a genre that I find really hard. And we talked about it before in bookshops, and I don't know why. You know, there's certain genres where you just go, why can't I walk yeah, into this one? Definitely, I, I'm like with like most fantasy stuff. I think Pratchett is also sort of at least half um, satire. It's also a take on the modern world and but like with fantasy stuff like I, I tried reading Game of Thrones like, I don't know this this didn't happen I don't know where this and I know sci-fi didn't as well but it's mostly set in the future so could happen or if you invoke parallel universe theories is enough of a hook to me for me to get into but yeah with fantasy stuff I just find it so I don't I, I can't be invested with it but there is the um, uh, the aspect of uh, well I think ideas are good in sci-fi but they're also 
they're not enough on their own. Because I think if you re- ever read the, um, the the Red Dwarf novelizations, like no, you know, no, you know, there were two books. Um, uh, Red Dwarf, the first book, I think it's Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers, then Better Than Life. Rob Grant, Doug Naylor wrote them together. They were very good novelizations of the whole, well, the, basically the Red Dwarf ideas, in the series put together. But they all they both wrote a third book individually, so there are two possible third books. And Rob Grant was backwards, and Doug Naylor's was a uh, uh, last human, and. Dagnellis has more ideas in it, but I do find it a much diff- more difficult read because he has the idea and he goes, uh, and it's like a paragraph, and that's why that happened. And then that's, it, he's an ideas man and there's no actual narrative structure to it, which I find a lot more difficult to take in. And whereas Rob Grant seems more of a disciplined writer, and that, that to me reflects some, And in his books, I find there's like fat and um, incompetence. Those are genuinely enjoyable as well. Like they are satirical, they are topical, they are. Uh, quite well informed. Fact is, you've got a girl with an eating disorder, anorexia in it, and it's portrayed from people I've talked to very, very well. It's a really good portrayal of anorexia, which you don't really get a lot of. Um, so yeah, that uh, those are the sort of things I'm reading right now. That's it's interesting. Where I presume by reading their books, their separate books, you then also get a sensation of how they write yeah. together. Who's pacing around and going, "What about this? What about yeah. this? What about this?" And he's going, "Hang on a minute, yeah. I'm still trying to get the shape of it." Yeah, and you can sort of see, like in Red Dwarf series six, maybe recognised one of the apexes, or at least a very, very good series. Red Dwarf series seven, when Rob Grant left and Doug Neil took over, quality just cannonball downwards. Like, oh, mm, what, what is this? You know, lots of big ideas not executed especially well. You can sort of see how that. Yeah, you can sort of see that based on their books, like how that could have happened. If he's the ideas man and just throws things out there and like, hopes things, something sticks, you do need a bit of discipline to make it into an actual readable content rather than just being great ideas. I do think a lot of sci-fi is like that. Scientists have big ideas and then sort of have to work backwards from, oh, how do I make this into a story? I find a lot, like Asimov, I, I can read, but I find it difficult to read because uh, he's like, this is the idea. And let's build up to that. Stephen Baxter does that all as well. I like Stephen Baxter's writing, but he has this massively complex, hard physics idea of what can make a good story, and then sort of works back from there. Then this is quantum entanglement across two universes. And here are some stock characters just to make that happen. You see, in those different forms, it's a bit like the kind of philosophy of Philip K. Dick, where mm. about, about the 11th book, you realise that you're kind of not quite reading exactly the same book, <laughs> yeah. but in terms of the level of paranoia and what is reality. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. um, you're also parents. So I wonder, what are the children's books that are littering your house at the moment? What are the ones that are...? Yeah, um, well, often uh, <coughs> common go-to, of course, is the uh, Schaefer-Donaldson ones, the... Uh, Stickman and the Gruffalo, those are stock staples, like those are the Beatles of that world. Um, uh, ah, Spider is a common favourite of my kids, a common mm. exact author now, but they don't Dawn French read it. It's a very, very engaging book to the point where my three year old daughter won't let me read it. She has to read it for me, uh, but I have to sit there and uh, you know, let her do it. So, Ah, Spider is, a, is, a, is the main one that they now have. You know what you look for? Stinky Cheese Man. Do you know about the Stinky Cheese Man? No, I don't. Man? But that sounds like something uh, my kids will love. The Stinky Cheese Man is a fantastic. All the way through, there's just chicken licking at the bottom of the page. Going, <laughs> the sky's falling in. The sky's falling in. <laughs> okay. And uh, the Stinky Cheese Man's about. This the first fairy tale, mm. and it's uh, about uh, a couple who never had children, and they make a little boy out of stinky cheese, and then go, "Oh God, oh. it stinks." And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely book. Children tend to trust me on that. <laughs> so, Doctor Dean Burnett, thank you very much. Thanks, Robin. Cheers. Uh, I can't even remember when we first met, but I'm with Gecko, who does the most beautiful uh, songs. And uh, Grace Petrie is a big fan of you. In fact, I remember her talking particularly about one way that you managed to quieten an audience and lure them in. You have some fantastic techniques for that. Uh, Outside music, books. 
Have you read anything this year that you particularly enjoyed? Um, I've read a very interesting book that I can't remember the name of about the way that geography has affected politics. Um, and see, I do that sometimes. I buy a book, I read the blurb, <laughs> and then of course yeah. I don't keep staring at the cover. It's exactly. much the same with, yeah. with records. If I if I love uh, an album, I put it on, and I don't yeah. sit there looking at the track listing. So if you, what's your favourite one? It's the one that goes, Jeanette, wow, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, also, Sapiens. I'm on that kind of a tip at the moment. That sort of um, trying to trying to figure out what's going on now by looking at what happened in the olden days. Do you have, do you, how much do you find things, in terms of your experience, uh, does reading play much of a part when you're writing a song? Do you suddenly think, oh, hang on a minute, I realise that? Or is that just very much on the periphery compared to other experience? Um, well, a lot of my songs are in character. So, yeah, definitely in terms of, th- well, I guess like, one of my biggest influences is Randy Newman. And the way that he talks about songwriting is kind of thinking about it in a sort of short story way rather than a sort of series of emotions that you're kind of feeling at the moment. And um, he often says how, why, why more uh, music isn't written in that way. So I guess that's, that's a big influence. So uh, one of the songs I'm doing tonight is a, written from the perspective of uh, one of the insects that is the last survivor on Earth. Um, and it's a way of me kind of being a bit patronising to the audience, but because I'm an insect, I'm allowed to be, um, from a sort of just saying, what have you done, guys? That's in the grand tradition, of course, of, of insect performance. Exactly. Bridget Christie, one of the oh, great yeah. Oh, yeah. insect stand-up comedians, you, one of the great <laughs> in, 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 insect crooners, yeah. all of these. Are, are, are there any um, books, do you ever read books, biographies or autobiographies of musicians or interviews? a another really good book that I can't remember the name of, which is, um, it's all about richest songwriters in the in the great tradition and it goes through from like Ray Davies Billy Bragg and then into like Lily Allen um, and some of the newer newer people and I will, I will message you and I'll tell you what, what that I like though is, is you're called. just giving people a lot of search engine work you're <laughs> yeah. giving them a far more the people who listen to this prefer a game and the game is he's given us these clues let's find out if we can work out what it is so it's if you find really out big. Listened, start tweeting us now as to what you think there's one about geography or something, yeah, something it might about have a geography. red cover I think with a kind yeah. of globe on it possibly yeah. there's another one Ray Davis is in it and Lily yeah, yeah. these are your clues <laughs> now go find them it's good. It's really and good. Where can people get hold of your music? Um, you can find me on Spotify. If you go geckoofficial.com, you can find a link to anything from there. That's brilliant. Um, yeah. Thanks very much. Thank Looking you. Forward to your insect song. Cheers. So with Hannah Critchlow, who uh, has done the, one of the fantastic Ladybird Science books, uh, hers is on consciousness, and also, and you have a book coming out next year. The title of the book: Science of Fate. Science of fate. How our future is more predictable than you might think. Oh, that's because I was. Oh, anyway, we can't have that conversation. We'll do that. I hope you come on the podcast and talk about it fully because there was something I want to talk about there. What books have you enjoyed this year? Oh, I think my the most refreshing and optimistic one is um, Factfulness. Uh, it's quite a nice antidote to the amount of stress and fear and kind of bad news that seems to be crescendoing through our media outlets at the moment. And it just it goes through in a very um, precise 
and factful way at actually how we've made huge amounts of progress in the last century um, and there's a lot to be hopeful for. Also I love the fact that it's written by you know, sadly a man who's no longer with us but the fact that he used to like to end his talks by doing a sword swallowing. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You know, that, that, ah, there's a little trick that I'll throw in here. Is there anything else you've enjoyed? Have you read any fiction at all this year? Or do you, do you find yourself so caught up in trying to keep up to date with papers and keep understanding what is you know, going on within your particular area? Oh, I did. Do you know what? I've just been in holiday in Australia, so I took some uh, books with me. Have you ever read The Rosie Project, which was written maybe ten years ago? Absolutely fantastic by Graham Simpson, I think it's called. It's about this guy who's a genetics professor, and he kind of uh, has this romantic dalliance with this really unlikely character. And it's just the way it is written is beautiful, uh, and it's it's really. Yeah, it's really beautiful and it kind of, it reminds me of quite a lot of academics in Cambridge actually. <laughs> it's just, they might be on, you know, they've got certain behaviours that uh, they exhibit which are very beautifully played out by this character. Anyway, so Graham Simpson's written his second novel uh, and it's about the Camino way. Like the, right. Um, yeah, so um, it's a, uh, a lovely woman who goes on a walk through France and through Spain. Um, yeah, and it's nice, it's sweet. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Hannah Critchlow. Go and get the book on consciousness now. I'm going to put you under pressure. I'm uh, in the corridor backstage at Nine Lessons of Carols for Curious People with Philip Ball, uh, most recently author of Beyond Weird, uh, which is a fascinating book looking at our understanding and trying to change our understanding of the ideas of, uh, of quantum mechanics. And he's currently going, hang on a minute, what have I read this year? Because he reviews a lot of books. So when you grab someone and you go, um, what are your favourite books of the year? You go, I don't know if I read anything, yeah, exactly. but I know I was I reading. I read what, what do you I read? I, no, I can remember one that I really would recommend, which is Carlo Rovelli's um, The Order of Time. And it's, it, I mean, you know, everyone raves about Carlo Rovelli, but there is a very good reason for it. He writes absolutely beautifully and very concisely. And this is, is perfect. This is just a lovely little book um, that uh, talks at just the right length and at just the right depth about what time is and how confusing a thing time is. So I really recommend that. Um, I am at the moment reading Sarah Perry's Melmoth, which uh, I've, re- I've enjoyed both Sarah Perry's previous novels and this one is great as well. It's very different, though, so don't expect you're going to get the Essex Serpent from this. People um, have been very excited by Melmoth. I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about it. Can you give a little, just a little bit of background of what people might expect from it? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a book um, about... It's, it's kind of a gothic... It, it really sort of plays uh, in an overtop way with gothic tropes of there's this figure who has been cursed to wander the earth um, since the time... Since, since biblical times. And she sort of turns up and witnesses all the terrible things that people do to each other. They are Armenian genocide and the Holocaust and it's you know there's sort of loads of grim stuff in there kind of weirdly put on top of this sort of classic gothic type story it takes place in Prague which is you know the uh, ideal place to stage a gothic tale Um, it's a it's a funny mixture and people have said quite rightly that it's a colder book much colder book than the Essex Serpent Um, more like after me the flood comes the flood which is her first book which I loved and I'm always pride myself on that because no one else picked up on it really at the time uh, but I saw that she was (laughs) going to be good so I do recommend that two books that, that stay in my mind for good and bad reasons but they've been a lot 
talked about. One is Stephen Pinker's Enlightenment Now, and the other is Robert Plowman's Blueprint. So Stephen Pinker is basically saying how actually the world is getting better, even though it looks like it's going to hell in a handcart, and he has lots of graphs to prove it. And uh, there are things in there that make you think, oh, Christ, actually, yeah, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe, you know, we, this is going to be a, a passing phase. And then there are things that made me want to throw it across the room um, in the way that he handles history and the ideas of the en- Enlightenment and in a very kind of Pinkeresque way. Um, so there's good and bad there. And the same with Robert Plowman's book, which has it's called Blueprint. And it's about um, the question of how much our genes determine our behavior. And he believes they do in a in every kind of human behavior that there is has a genetic component if you look for genetic correlations you'll see them and in a way this is no surprise and shouldn't be threatening it shouldn't sort of undermine our sense of who we are but the thing that frustrated me and and it's very important to have that said and said clearly and it has implications for education uh, and for social policy um, the thing, again, that frustrated me is that it really lays on this genetic determinism about what makes us us. And really, I don't think that stacks up. The notion that somehow, it, 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 although he tries to step back from real genetic determinism, you know, at the same time, he's really pushing it and getting and losing sight of the way we are all inevitably shaped by our histories. Um, so what he's really saying, and uh, sometimes he says it clearly and sometimes he doesn't, is that we all come loaded with genetic propensities and those are going to play out in some way depending on the kinds of experiences that we have. So, of course, it's a mixture of genes and environment um, and in quite subtle ways and I don't think he quite captures those subtleties. But it's worth reading to get an up-to-date picture of how genes determine behaviour. Thank you very much, Philip Ball. Uh, Beyond Weird is out now. Uh, backstage now with uh, Professor Sophie Scott, uh, who, uh, amongst other things, was the presenter of last year's uh, Royal Institute Christmas lectures, which is probably you can still see them online, can't you? You can indeed. If you go to the Royal Institution's website, they have them all there. Because Carl Sagan, when he did his, apparently he turned up and they weren't what he thought he was doing, so he had to totally rewrite what he was doing. So apparently the Carl Sagan ones, I've never fully watched them. I did go backstage and find they used to have bits left, like the cardboard Saturn or whatever that had been made, and it was all being chucked out. It's like, we don't need that anymore. Who would want that? (laughs) Why would we keep any of this? Yeah, they're they're kind of magical, those ones. They are... they, they, They have their own thing going on. There's one point where he just starts dancing around with children, just... Just for quite a long time, and it's hard to see that one getting past the producers now. But it's um, it's sort of beautiful actually, and strange and lovely. Well, you had some great stuff there, but uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh, what books have you enjoyed this year? Have you had much chance to read outside your own particular uh, area? Um, I have had a bit. I do. It's it's hard, particularly if you've got like kind of the dumpster fire of things, social media to kind of lure your attention. Um, I. I've been very much enjoying your book, uh, even though there was a scary bit when I was in it. But um, mm-hmm. I think it's lovely, actually. And I would say that even if you weren't the person interviewing me, I thought it was a very That's kind very of nice. uh, human and interesting and like weirdly helpful. Which That's was, really uh, nice because it it's weird when you say about scary when you get to the scene you're in as <laughs> such. That, that was, the, to me, the scariest thing is when the book came out, I started to worry more and more about, even though I was very careful when I, when I you know, transcribed the interviews I did, 
I kept going. Have I slightly misunderstood that? Yes. Have I mis? Have yeah. I misrepresented what someone? And I, and I hope I haven't heard back from anyone yet, and I don't think I have. But that that terror of yeah. what if I've done that journalistic thing of mauling someone's ideas so mm. I can fit it into what I want it to be. Mm. No, it's you, you. Well, obviously, I can only speak for the bits that I was in, but I thought you did it, really an excellent job of kind of summarising over. Like your experience and the kind of history and art of stand-up and what we know about brains and mental health, it was brilliant, really good. I don't need to ask you about any more books. Now now, now we've covered that mind, that's fine. (laughs) I will never read another book, that's that's the book. (laughs) In in terms of new works, I've just started reading The Disordered uh, Disordered Mind or The Disordered Brain, Eric Candle, it is Eric Candle, isn't it? uh, uh, His his book, which I'm not sure is actually out. Uh, it might be a proof copy, but uh, he's he's written a, a book about what we what we might be able to start to understand when we when we examine uh, you know how people with autism, how people with dementia, how people with various and it's so far I found it interesting. Though of course I'm always aware that I mm. it's I might be misled, whatever. I wondered in terms of that kind of field, in terms of popular neuroscience, is there anything that you've been particularly intrigued by? Um, I'm hopeless when it comes to popular neuroscience because. Um, uh, you know, all scientists are like, oh, don't, don't read that. Oh, for God's sake, no, no, terrible hack. And then you worry about ever writing a book yourself because you know everyone will say that about you. Um, I'm struggling. Actually, this is going to sound like a cop out. I think Will Storr does a very good job of sort of summarising across sort of experimental psychology and cognitive neuroscience with respect to things like, um, a, you know, self esteem and self image, for example, in his more recent book, Selfie. And um, so he's a, he is a very good writer. On, on sort of how, you know, kind of taking science into scientific concepts into meaningful things that affect people's lives in a in a very well thought through way. And novels wise, have you read anything? Um, well, I think um, two. So one isn't a novel, but it reads like a novel. Bad Blood, the book about the um, Theranos blood testing device which was developed over the past few years in Silicon Valley and the idea was to sort of have an iPod like device that would do blood testing with the pinprick of blood rather than taking great you know tubes full of the stuff out of people and it very early on the idea was you'd be able to do this and very very early on it became clear you couldn't do this so they just started lying to people and they're getting more and more money and more and more success because who wouldn't prefer to have a pinprick of blood to test everything? And then real people are having blood really tested for real diseases by a system that doesn't work. It was, wow. it was absolutely extraordinary. And it's written by the journalist who started kind of chipping away at it. And by the end, the whole thing, the whole thing has just come to pieces. And it's, it, reads, it reads like a novel, although horrifically it is actually true. So that, that's absolutely extraordinary. Bad blood, very good. And the other book that I really enjoyed, a novel, a proper novel that I enjoyed a lot, Murmur by Will Eaves, which is a sort of... It's a strange book because it's a, it's a novel, but it's a reimagining of aspects of Alan Turing's life by a kind of fictionalised Alan Turing. So he's not pretending... He both is and isn't being Alan Turing, and he's trying to sort of write about key aspects and events in Alan Turing's life but particularly when he was given big air quotes therapy for homosexuality which profoundly affected him which affected him physically and affected him mentally and he had these extraordinary dreams so it's kind of taking the dreams and the way that your mind works during dreams and the way that your mind works during wakefulness and the, how that can be affected by things it's it's an amazing novel. It's very hard to describe it more than that, but it's one of those books that you kind of, when you've read it, it sort of changes everything else 
for the rest of the day. You can't. You sort of like you perceive everything slightly differently. Like like you do. You know, sometimes when you wake up and a dream sort of colours the whole rest of the day for you. Murmur is a bit like that. It sort of sort of sketch you in a quite a strange way of thinking. It was it was very very interesting. Very. It's a lot funnier than I made it sound. He is a very very beautiful writer, very funny, very witty writer, but a very human writer. Um, and I think it's a very... Even if you weren't kind of passionately interested in Alan Turing, I think you'd find it interesting. And even if you are passionately interested in Alan Turing, I don't think you'd find it irritating that it was being written in his voice. Mm. Um, it's, it's an amazing... It's an amazing book. I think... I think he may have started writing it uh, having been very, very irritated by the, the feature film about Alan Turing... <laughs> I think that might be uh, the, the, the precipitating event. Yeah, the one that had, had to still have some semblance of a heterosexual romance yes, in, in there. Yeah, it's quite exactly, an odd. Exactly. Uh, yeah, although he would, under the threat of being, you know, he could be pressurised because of his homosexuality, because of blackmail, which he wouldn't, you know, I think Willie still very strongly would not have done. You know, some very interesting. Yeah, there's the documentary that was made about 25 years ago, which was by uh, Christopher Sykes, who made all the Feynman stuff as well. It's very interesting. A lot of old mm. men who remember. Um, that, but talking about books where someone goes into uh, is 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 the the mind of the real person. You are Raoul Moat is a really I, I found myself about ninety pages in. I was racing through it. I went, I have to stop because I don't want to be in this person's mind anymore. Yeah, because the disturbance in his head. Yeah. The attempt to cover up through some kind of logic his brutality to others. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit where you go, I'm, j- I'm just going to put it down now. Because yeah. I think 100 <laughs> pages in this head is not going to take me to the right place. Very yeah. inter- brilliantly written, though. Yeah. Brilliantly written. Oh, I must, I've, I've heard good things about that. I'll look that up. I, it's, it's a different origin, but I had, I had the same problem when I tried to read Kenneth Williams' diaries. I just, after a while, I just, I just could not go back to them. I couldn't bear being... I mean, even if, you know, it wasn't just that it's a different face from the public face that he had, but it was so unhappy and cross so often that it was just it was very hard to sort of just stay in that mood, in that place. Yeah, I also, I also kept wanting to read the whole diary because, of course, it's so edited down. Yes, yes, know, they, yes. Each one was a full-letch diary of the yeah. year. Because you can get, what's it called? I think it, no, Just Williams was his autobiography. Um, after he did Backdrops... Acid Drops was his, you know, book of bomb mows, and then yeah. Backdrops was basically one, one year of his life. And what's oh. odd is I thought, how edited is it? And, of course, some of the miserabilism is edited out, but still his kind of relentless talking about what was going on in his bottom and all the different problems, you know, <laughs> with the Chalfords and Giles and all that. Uh, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Thank you very much, Sir Professor Sophie Scott. Thank you. Uh, Joanna Neary, uh, who you've been doing this show for 13 years, and uh, you um, have a lovely book collection. I've seen a lovely book collection. Um, what books have you been enjoying this year? You put me off my book collection when you pointed out that they were all self-help. I thought that they no, were... but they were really proper self-help, though, weren't they? They were self-help of another time. Like, yeah, vintage ones, weren't they? Going back about how to be charming, how to take your coat off without flashing your foo. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, the Lighthouse series, which is uh, which I've got about three of them. What a huge series, aren't they? Of self-help. 
I'm not sure about those. I don't know if I know those. You my definitely own. have got some lighthouse have series. I? Yeah. Get you study on my bookshelf. Yeah, they're nice. Yeah, I know your bookshelf you better than you sometimes. Bag. Yeah. <laughs> well, this year I've read loads of books because I dropped my smartphone and smashed. So I got my Nokia again. So I've read lots of books this year. And I read The Muscle Feast, which was recommended by Natalie on your podcast with, mm. with Josie. And um, it was okay. I read it in about half a morning, but it didn't stay with me at all. And I also read um, Little Boy Lost by Marganita Lasky. Um, which is about a man who goes looking for his son in France um, and his, he lost his son during the war, like they lost each other because he was taken away in the war. And it's a fantastic book. It's um, published by Persephone Books. It's reprinted by oh, Persephone. Oh, they're great, aren't they? Yeah, they're beautiful and they're lovely editions to read. But this book was really shocking because you kind of think sometimes with books from the past that have been reprinted by Persephone that they might be a bit twee, you know, and they've been lost for a reason, you know, like... But this book is just... It was it really grabs you by the gullet and mm. takes you along and it's so surprising what happens in the end. You've got to read it, Robin. I think you'll love it. I've got a copy if you want a copy. Oh, yeah, no, I might do that for my Christmas book because I'm allowed to read just for any or an actually for fun over I mean reading's always fun but it's like I'm doesn't have to be attached to any project that you I'm don't usually on. read fiction do you no I do well I like reading fiction but I just I don't very often I'm researching something else so, so you I don't, don't have get room. yeah don't get around to that well since I spoke to you about books I've read a lot of non-fiction this year I read mm. Widow Basquiat by Jennifer Clement and it's about um a Basquiat's girl it's written from the point of view for Basquiat's girlfriend Suzanne who's now a psychiatrist and, psych- and psychotherapist in New York and she specializes in treating artists and this book is a really brilliant little novel about her relationship with Basquiat, Jean-Michel Basquiat, in New York in the 80s. And um, Madonna's in it and all these people. But it's, it's brilliant because it's also Suzanne's point of view as well. They're, they're all friends, you see. And it's a really brilliant way of seeing into an artist's life and his process in a way that you don't get in catalogues or exhibitions. Mm. And I don't know if you saw it at the Barbican. There was a huge exhibition this year. And, and you kind of remember all the paintings and it all fits into place. It's a fantastic book. I recommend that as well. And you've been reading uh, a lot of John Higgs since you saw him talk about Watling Street at the uh, um, Welsh Botanic Garden. That's right, you recommended the KLF one, which I loved. And my friend put it really, he really clinched it. That's the first one I read, because he said that John Higgs manages to make the KLF way more interesting than anyone remembers them being. Did, well, that's the thing is, we don't know the story behind it, do we? So we would just, you know, when, perhaps when we were watching it, and I, I would have been in about 20, I suppose, or whatever, and you would have been younger than that, and it was uh, just those, you know, you heard these pop songs, and they were kind of doing this thing, and then they'd sometimes do slightly weird things, like put a dead sheep down at the, you know, the Brit Awards or whatever. And then once you start to find out that, you know, all of this strange, different shamans that they were reading, and, you know, the work of Robert Anton Wilson and Jung, and, yeah... Yes, fantastic book. And he does a choose-your-own-adventure ending at the end as well, where you can decide whether you want to read the magical side of it or the uh, or another version, which is brilliant. Yeah, I was talking to John about that book. He said um, he published it as an e-book originally, so you could actually choose your own adventure at the end. Oh, choose brilliant. which ending you read. But I read both because I'm greedy. And you're reading Stranger Than We Can Imagine at the moment, which I think is my favourite of his, but I like all of them, so... Uh... Yeah, no, it's brilliant. And you learn so much of them, don't you? I read um, Rebecca Solnit. I finished that book mm. that I was reading when I saw you back in Wales. It was called um, A Field Guide to Getting Lost. And um, it's a philosophy, history and biography book, isn't it? Mm. And I was asking you about that, and you said that it's, um, it's Paul Theroux started all that. Is that right? It wasn't me who said that. It must be someone else in the pub. Oh, someone else in the pub. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to say that I was smart enough to have known, but I'm not. <laughs> but I, I was quite confused by that Rebecca Solnit book. It's kind of odd. She introduces amazingly interesting bits of history that you think, I want to read more about that, and I want to mm. read more about that. But then when it's the personal stuff coming in, it feels a bit forced sometimes. You know those Guardian articles that start off with, 
I've got a cushion with a smiley face on it. I might have to get rid of it. And then it goes into Donald Trump and all the stuff about, I don't know, all around the world. And then it comes back to the cushion at the end and goes, maybe that cushion isn't so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that, do you know what I mean? Like, shoehorning it in. Yeah, it's about getting lost, that one. Yeah, have you read much of it? Just looking in a little box and suddenly found all my grandma's old doilies. And um, Theresa May... What? Which is a bit, uh, which yeah. is a bit like Brexit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what... Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, do you want to know books that I recommend that I've just... And at that point, the microphone died, but I couldn't do anything about it because I was uh, off sorting out the sound checks for that night's Nine Lessons with Steve Pretty and uh, Jim Moray. So uh, Robin and Joe picked up their conversation uh, a little bit later with microphone number two. So uh, where we got to, we just... Got... Oh, yeah, you were about to tell me and, and another book. You, you were telling me that you'd read one of Jaron Lanier's? That's right. I just read um, Ten Reasons to Leave Social Media and... Um... I went to a brilliant talk in Eastbourne. It was a digital weekender and Shard Call was there talking and there was a science fiction writer and he was talking about how he couldn't get published anymore and he didn't understand why. And then he said he looked into it and discovered that real life is, has overtaken science fiction now. And so he started to look into what's happening in the world in, you know, and it's, it's science fiction is kind of coming true and so he's moved, he's shifted what he's writing about. He almost was saying that it's redundant now to be trying to write science fiction, but that's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think it's... Yeah, because it just... It, it, that, you can't... It's like saying it's redundant to write romantic fiction. Yeah, it's it, always it, going to be an Yeah, it might just be harder to find new ways in. Yeah, that's it, to describe tinfoil and having... <laughs> I, can't, I can't do a satire on a science fiction, I haven't read enough. Um, yeah, you're going to read that. No, but you can say, yeah, Jaron Lani. So, so did you, you... You said that you've um, dropped your uh, smartphone down the toilet or whatever. That, was yeah. that specifically in, in reaction to Jaron Lani or...? Uh... No, it was before, and um, I thought that I would leave social media after I read Jaron Lanier, but I didn't. He, but his argument's brilliant. He says we don't... He said, basically, they left a gap when they set up the internet, and it was for the entrepreneurs to do social media. And he said, and they did that, but they did it really badly. And what he thinks we should do, basically, is st- stop it, get off it, and make them start again and make it good. And it all tied into the digital weekend I went to where they were basically saying that the big CEOs are, you know, making billions, and the artists and the people that create content don't get paid, and that was a choice made on it by someone or by the people that you know it's amazing isn't it? it it just reflects so many of the arts doesn't it where you go you're expected to work for free because you get the treat of people seeing what's in your head but yeah. don't expect to get paid for it I mean I, I, I'm finding you know even now at nearly 50 years old I keep looking at finding new ways that the, you know the business of art versus the the artists that are required to drive it so you remove the artists and you have nothing mm-hmm. You move the business and there's still being... But it doesn't matter. The business is so much in control of Isn't it funny because we, we love what we do so much. So we do do benefit gigs and it is a pleasure, isn't it? And, so, and it feels like a bonus sometimes that you're getting paid. But I suppose those business people have latched onto that bit, haven't they? And, you know, yeah. Well, I think it's always, yeah, music being, you know, the Tim Pan Alley stuff and all manner of things. So apart from Jaron Lanier, who, yeah, I was just saying to you, I've just been reading his book about... Uh, the one just before that is about kind of part autobiography, part him looking at virtual reality as he was one of the, the pioneers there. Oh, is that worth reading? Um, oh, do you know what? I'm only 30 pages in. I think it will oh. be. I'm, in, oh. I'm enjoying it so far. Oh, well, the other book I read this year was um, The Atheist Mass by Balzac. It's only a short story, but it's a really beautiful little short story. I really love his writing. He's somebody I would like to have known. But, um, and um, what else have I got on here? Uh, Rebecca Sornet, the KLF. I've read lots of other things. Muscle those yeah. yeah, Muscle Feast. Yeah. Well, I've got a lot of books on the go now. I'm reading that one you mentioned on your podcast. Is it Edward O. Wilson? The yeah, creativity? about the or- origins of creativity. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. 
Yeah, and I'm going to read um, The Outsider by Colin Wilson. I know that's an old, old book. Yeah, if you need, I've got about 70, I think I told you that, I've got so many copies of The Outsider because every time I find one which has got a different cover, I go, yeah, I want that too. Because they're good, so it's got they? one's like a Van Gogh painting, and then one's one of those kind of uh, you know late thirties surrealist things of what a front room looks like. But all of them are different things about you know being a little bit outside the. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I, I love all the different covers, read- and some of them are like I've got some lovely old pan covers. You know, quite austere pan covers of uh, The Outsider and Beyond The Outsider. <laughs> yeah, that looks like an interesting one to read. I'm gonna, I want to read some John Le Carre as well after watching those TV series. I never read him at all, have you? No, I and I, I'm, I, I love the, the TV series of Tinker Taylor is one of my favourite things of all yeah. time. So I watched that again last year. I didn't enjoy the film they did in 2012. Was it 2011 they did the remake? Yeah, I still like things in it, but it's nothing compared to... My problem was that all the men looked the same to me. I honestly didn't know who was... I was going, who is this one now? And Paddy was going, that's a different man. I was going, who's them there? Yeah. Go do that. I said, they've both got dark hair and dark eyes. It's got to that now, I can't tell. They looked a lot more different in the TV version. And one Viv Albertine big, books was... I want to read. Have you read her books? I've read the first Viv Albertine, is it uh, which deals with kind of yeah, which you know it's one of those books which is literally a book of, of, of two halves. It is here we go. Here is what was going on in the you know the punk of the new wave scene. Here now is illness, and yeah, it's very interesting. But I haven't read the, the new one yet. But it comes back round to making music, does it? At the end, that's good. Yeah, the new one looks good, doesn't it? Right. Kate Bush's lyrics have come out. Oh, and Neil Tennant's if you want them. It's that. up to you. Up to you, isn't it? And now back to Alan Moore and Melinda Gebby. Um, Melinda, what else? I'll move this down here. Uh, you, you've got a couple of other books. Um, yeah, you'd like. I think you'd really like "Stay with Me" by Obama Adebayo. This may be hard to find. I am I only supposed to talk about British publications? No, you talk about whatever. Well, this is Grove Press, New York. So that's a pretty big company. Lakota Woman by Mary Crow Dog. Anybody who wants to actually know what it's like on reservation. Uh, society must read this book. I I found it by chance in a small, small little hole in the wall uh, feminist bookstore in Santa Cruz, and it was the very reason that we stopped there, uh, you know, en route somewhere else. Anyway, um, it's 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 a story of well, if you could imagine a nightmare like this, um, you'd have a pretty amazingly dark imagination because it's just, it's so important to read if you have any interest in what happened to the First Nation people of America. This is the first book you must read. It won the American Book Award. Um, I need to tell the date here. Uh, uh, well, this edition, 91. You might be able to find it on Abe. Right. Um, but I'm sure that this company has extras of it somewhere. Um, Lakota Woman by Mary Crow Dog with Richard Erdos. And you've got one more down there. She's... Okay. Um, I picked this book up out of the shelves thinking it was going to be all about exploitation. It's called The Undead oh, Uprising. Oh, I was looking at this the other day and I didn't get it. So now you can persuade me that I need to go back to that bookshop. <laughs> By John Cussens. Uh, the subtitle is Haiti, Horror and the Zombie Complex. I have learned more about the history of not only uh, the cinematic take on zombieism, but about the first people who started all these terrible stories that just made Haiti a living hell 
So it's a much less exploitative book than you would think it is. Um, it's got a nice little picture of uh, Papa Doc on it, um, wearing a partial uh, magic mask. And as I say, but don't don't be fooled. It's a very good source of hair-raising information. Who did that cover? That's, uh, uh, let's check and see. Uh, it should say in the, ah, it's published by Strange Attractor. Ah, so Strange it's Attractor. got to be a, a worthwhile. Ah, the book, fun in of Strange Attractor that every year I'm waiting for their second volume of about the films of Jess Franco by Stephen Thrower, and every year it doesn't come out. Maybe Stephen Thrower's realised that spending your entire life watching Jess Franco movies is not a good idea. Actually, I, I, I was just suddenly reminded by your your mention of uh, Papa Dot that uh, just the other day I, I happened to see a reference to. Uh, Ian Paisley Jr. as Baby Doc. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, another book that uh, actually Joe got me, um, Joe Brown, who is sitting here. Uh, he he got me a book by Michael Lewis called The Undoing Project, which is all about um, Daniel Kahneman, and Amos Tversky, oh, right, yes. who were two Israeli um, intellectuals who were both interested in human behaviour and why certain faults in our thinking seem to be kind of systemic and affect all of us. And it was them who came up with... Um, the idea of sunk cost, where because we've invested such a lot into a bad idea, we think that if we invest a bit more, that will somehow make it all all right. Mm. Uh, or the idea of kind of um, uh, uh, confirmation bias, whereby we only select the things that confirm our ideas and we reject all the other evidence. And... It was, it was a really interesting book um, about these people who had revolutionised our thinking about our thinking, and uh, yeah, he did a good job of telling their personal stories and annoyingly contemporary for the current conditions of certainly English language, yeah, uh, politics and absolutely, distance. absolutely. It's sort of uh, yeah, it's a book that I'd recommend people read if they kind of really want to understand where we are right now, you know. So, uh, yeah, Michael Lewis, The Undoing Project. That was another one. Brilliant. I think the... Uh, that, that it, I, I might be wrong, but I think Graham Humphreys, who did the the cover, I think he's the guy who might have done the, the poster for The Evil Dead, the original art of that, but I might be wrong. He's certainly got a similar kind of style. Um, one other thing I've just noticed on his shelf, and I can't remember whether it's this year or last year, actually, but uh, Geff... Another book by Strange Attractor yeah, uh, about the talking mongoose. Yes. It's probably the, the best lengthy book on <laughs> the talking mongoose talk, that's talk currently available. Mongoose or whatever that, yeah, is available, definitely. I mean, that was a story that I'd always loved since I first heard it. Uh, just this improbable talking mongoose uh, haunting this remote family. But reading that book, um, it doesn't dispel any of the strangeness or mystery, even though it explains, yeah, it would seem like it was 
probably some kind of prank being pulled by somebody, but that really doesn't seem entirely credible, even of itself. Uh, so we're kind of left with, for whatever reasons, a family seemed to believe or seemed to want others to believe that they were being visited by this kind of hostile talking mongoose um which is i mean that whether there was a talking mongoose or not that's a kind of interesting story in itself i feel it's also the real this is where you make the choice isn't it like a choose your own adventure game in a library do i want to read the undoing project and discover more about why we're in a horrible mess or do I really want to embrace more ideas of the talking mongoose? The talking mongoose, and yeah. I would go with the latter, possibly. Probably. It's, uh, although, I don't know, maybe somewhere in the Undoing Project there is a clue as to why people believe that they are being possessed by talking mongoose. Gooses. Still a lot of research to be done, even on the plurals, before there we even get to is. the linguistic yeah, abilities. Yeah. And the final guest for this part one is me and some of the books I've enjoyed this year. Obviously, it would be uh, remiss of me not to mention I'm a Joke and So Are You by Robin Ince. And I'm not just saying that, obviously. Uh, it is a really great book. And uh, if you haven't read it yet, I imagine most people who listen to this podcast have already got the, a hard copy at one of our shows or got the Kindle version or whatever it is. Uh, I really would recommend getting that. It's a really great read. And just a few other highlights of the year for me. Uh, I really enjoyed Mad Enchantment by Ross King which is all about uh, Monet and the painting of the water lilies, uh, specifically about that series of paintings. But it goes into sort of Monet's life and the politics in Paris at that time. Uh, we're going to have Ross on the podcast, actually, at some point soon, hopefully. Also, Dan Pfeiffer's book, Yes, We Still Can. I imagine a lot of people who listen to Book Shambles also listen to the Pod Save America podcast. Uh, Dan Pfeiffer, a former Obama White House staffer has written a book about his time in the White House and also sort of moving forward with political campaigning and social media and stuff in the age of Trump and general disillusionment and stuff. That's a really great book. I'd recommend, definitely recommend getting that. And after Robin and uh, Michael Legg and Stuart Lee and various other people have been banging on to me about I Hate the Internet by Jarrett Kobeck. I finally got around to reading that recently. That's fantastic. Definitely uh, my favourite fiction book that I read this year, along with uh, The Shepherd's Hut by Tim Winton. I know we've talked about Tim Winton uh, on the podcast a fair bit before. Uh, Robin's often talking about dirt music. Uh, his latest book is great as well. And, of course, uh, the books by every person that we've had on the podcast this year has been brilliant and I would recommend you go and read all of those as well as pre-ordering any book coming out by anyone that we've had on the podcast in the last year. And the books on the horizon for a lot of our bloggers as well. Pete Etchells and Susie Gage and Dean Burnett have all got uh, new books coming out soon. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. We'll be back before Christmas with another end of year special with people backstage at all of our gigs. We'll be talking to Brian Cox, Matt P. 
Parker, Dr. Carl, Lucy Green, Helen Chersky, and lots of other people as well. So until then, have a great week and we'll be back next week. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. (laughs) 